gather around the lamp and Aston Villa podcast. If at first you don't succeed, come back next year and try again. Aston Villa celebrates the Hello and welcome back to the Gather Round the Lamp podcast. As always, I'm your host, Regan. You can find me on Twitter at FindFoy. But this week, we're not joined by Mark. We're joined by another one of our writers, and that's Harry. Uh, if you'd like to introduce yourself, Harry, go ahead. Yeah, um, I'm Harry Trend. Uh, you can find me at Hazard on Twitter. Uh, I've been writing for quite a while uh, for uh, Under Gas Lamp uh, blog. I'd probably say, say it's about three years now. Um, and yeah, uh, excited to... Excited to be sharing the uh, the internet space uh, with you, Regan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're, we're recording this uh, directly off the back of another object performance from Aston Villa. Uh, they travelled to the King Power Stadium this evening, um, you know, off the back of, of a decent performance against Manchester City in the Carabao Cup final at Wembley. And a lot of fans expected the side to kick on from that, you know, especially with the the huddle at the end where you see Dean Smith kind of addressing all the players. But that wasn't the case. Obviously, we'll divulge into that a bit further uh, into the podcast. But, you know, Villa started brightly. They pressed well. They were playing some quick one-touch football. And, you know, within the first 10 minutes, I was thinking, okay, we've got a game on our hands here. Villa might actually snatch something from this. Yeah, we, we started well, um, especially kind of knocking the ball about in midfield, Louise Nakamba. Um, and I, I was kind of with you there. I thought, you know, that the, the huddle has made a difference uh, and it looks like we're going to kick on. Um, obviously, you know, we, we had the we had the chances at the start as well with um, uh, Horahan, who just couldn't get to targets, uh, targets cross. And yeah, the first 15 minutes, things were looking up. Yeah, and you know, Hurahan then again, you know, I, I really wanted to see him involved uh, before the game. Um, you know, I think I think he offers a lot to our transitional play. And, you know, he almost turned provider after he'd uh, scuffed at the shot earlier. And he curled in a dead ball towards the back post where Samata attempted to get a touch. But the Tanzanian's trailing leg hit the ball instead of his leading one. And, you know, if, if that ball or, or Hurahan's shot had, you know, even caused Kasper Schmeichel to, to, to need to make a save, the game could have gone a very different way. But from from those two chances, you kind of got the inkling that it wasn't going to be Villa's day. You know, it was reminiscent of El Ghazi um, earlier in the season, you know, smashing the crossbar from, you know, five yards out. Mm. Yeah, so it, I, I think with the Samata chance especially as well, um, I mean, I don't think it was necessarily a bad miss from Samata, from Horahan's delivery. I just think he he kind of got to the ball a bit too early. And yeah, like you said, you know, when it's not your day, it's not your day. Um, and it, it it's frustrating because we didn't really create anything like that for the remainder of the game. Yeah, and it, it became a bit of, you know, heart-in-mouth football for, for Villa, you know. Uh, 
from the ninth minute onwards. I think it was actually the ninth minute where a ball over the top uh, found Kelechi and Nacho, and that forced Bjorn Engels to head the ball out for a corner and almost into his own net. And, and from that point onwards, Villa looked relatively shaky. You know, the resulting corner saw Johnny Evans rush into the six-yard box and head towards the goal. And really, Evans would have scored if it wasn't directly at Pepe Reina, who actually made a strong save. But this raised clear issues with, with the zonal marking that, that Aston Villa's defenders are being tasked with. You know, you've got the tallest player on the pitch, Tyrone Mings, attacking the ball rather than marking a man. And for a lot of the times that we've seen corners swung into the box, Tyrone Mings doesn't necessarily attempt to attack the ball. Um, you know, we, we saw it later on in the game as well. Crosses coming in, uh, corners coming in, and they, they, they were raining down on, on, on the Villa defence, really. And there's one there's one moment where um, a ball's played in, and I think it's Soyuncu who gets to the ball and, and heads it over the bar. But Engels is tasked with with stopping three Leicester City defenders at once, and that's that's what zonal marking can can cause. You know, it causes an overload of of uh, opposition attackers or opposition players attacking the ball that Villa can't just can't deal with really. Yeah, and I think it's kind of a microcosm uh, of the season as a whole for Villa in terms of defending set pieces. You know, uh, we've we've struggled with this the whole season long, and for me, it's kind of who's picking up who. Like for that um, Evans chance, there it was Al Mohamedi actually. Uh, I think he was the man. Well, obviously it was zonal marking, but he was the man closest to Evans, and you know, it's it's getting to a point now where you, you just think, when is Dean Smith or the Villa coaching staff going to sort this out because it's it's certainly long enough and uh, you know as a, as a championship team we, we're gonna we're gonna struggle at times from open play anyway so we're just making it harder for ourselves and set pieces. Um, is this something Regan you think uh, will be ad- addressed um, quite harshly in training maybe, maybe tomorrow or, or do you think this is just going to carry on for the remainder of the season? I think it'll carry on, you know, it's been an issue that, that needed to be addressed, you know, 10 games ago, 11 games ago, 20 games ago, rather than like after this game. Um, I think, you know, it's it's become an age-old trope this season regarding what, what you know, John Terry's actually bringing to this coaching staff, you know, he, he's got the experience, he's got the pedigree, but defensively, we're, we're shocking, um, and, you know, I, I've seen... Um, pieces over the last week or two where they've discussed how at the start of the season it was our attack letting us down and our defence looked you know incredible we were conceding we were conceding from mistakes and and things like that but it was our attack that that was was suffering and and now it seems almost the opposite you know there's some games where our attack's on fire and our defence is letting us down and there are other games where the, the entire team just looks like they they really can't be bothered Mm, yeah, and I think you know you've got big guys in there as well, like Mings and Engels. You know they're, they're not they're, they're they're big guys, and you just think you know, especially Mings in particular, he should really be the guy. Kind of, I mean, Mings had an okay game compared to the rest of the team, but how much of it do you think comes down onto the players as well? Because I think Mings. He should be seeing these problems, and he sh- I think he should be sorting them out. Okay, you can blame the coach and staff, 
Um, but not just Mings, the rest of the back line as well. They've got to sort it out amongst themselves. And uh, as a goalkeeper as well, it's, it's your job to sort out set pieces. And I'm sure we'll come on to Reina. Um but I, I I believe it's it's the player's responsibility as well to to sort out these uh, kind of calamitous um, instances uh, that we're dealing with at set pieces. Yeah, of course it's down to the players as well. You know, th- there's been times where, especially in this game against Leicester, you saw you know Engels or Mings kind of questioning how things had got past them or how things had happened and. It's almost like they're preparing for these kind of things in in training, but when it actually comes into a game, they just lose their focus or they lose all kind of uh, knowledge of what they've been learning or doing over the past week. Um, You know, it's similar to the the Rodri header um, against us in in the Carabao Cup final. You know, um, Frederick Gilberry was arguably one of the shortest players in the Villa squad. Uh, you know he's marking Rodri or he's chasing Rodri for that ball and you, you've got to think that if we were, were man marking rather than zonal marking you know putting Tyrone Mings and Bjorn Engels on their you know for example in, in, in the case of, of Leicester maybe like Johnny Evans or Soyuncu then we're going to be conceding less chances from, from corners never, more, never mind less goals yeah, exactly, and it's yeah, like I said earlier, you know, it's not, um, it it it's not what we re- need right now. Kind of extra things. I mean, we're we're bad enough defending open players. It is, um, and and yeah, I mean, just may, maybe moving uh, the game on a bit. Um, uh, Gilbert had a, a mixed game, uh, I'd say. I mean, he had that tackle on uh, James Justin where he kind of stuck a leg out. Uh, behind him and and just got that tackle right you know he was he was chasing back he was out of position he kind of made up for it in that instance uh but as you went on to see with the game he was one of the players who you know he really didn't have a great game uh in terms of position and at least um and again i think it was kind of a, a, a a collective of errors that led to our downfall in the end yeah, I, I do like Gilbert, um, and he's he seems to be one of those those fullbacks that's much more adept at attacking rather than than defending. You know, um, when you're in a, a relegation battle, you want a defender that's more like Aaron Wan-Bissaka than than Trent Alexander-Arnold kind of thing. Um, but yeah, Gilbert made made that tackle, and at first I thought, hmm, you know, that's that's risky. But you know, on, on watching it again, watching it back, it was a perfectly timed tackle. Um, but you know, it, it's one of those things: is it down to skill? Is it down to luck? Yeah, obviously, that the, the player will say it's down to skill. Um, but you know, as time went on in the first half, corners and crosses continued to come into the Aston Villa box, and and Iheanacho had a chance in the thirty third minute with a glancing header, and he headed it just wide. You know, if he if he uh, took that chance without trying to you know put so much swaz on the ball, um, you know that that could have been the opening goal. But obviously, the opening goal came through the fault of Pepe Reina. You know, an over-the-top ball found Harvey Barnes on the left. And, you know, I, I saw a tweet about it. Um, it was like the biggest jump scare of, of the Premier League season, just seeing Pepe Reina and his bald head on rushing into the fucking corner of the screen. Um, 
you know, he, he rushes out. It's a moment of, of blindness, a lapse of concentration. Um, and he's never going to get to the ball before Barnes. You know, Barnes flicks the, the ball past Rayner and slots into into the net past Tyrone Mings, who was left to try and defend. Mm. And I think the thing was as well, I mean, it wasn't as if Rayner had an advantage uh, kind of in covering ground anyway, because uh, Barnes was close to the ball to start with. And obviously he's never, you know, Rayner's never going to win a foot race against the, the Leicester winger. Um and it, it was really just a moment of madness. And, you know, Rayner, he started well against Southampton. He looked quite dodgy. And, you know, begs the question again, team selection. Nealand has been pretty solid from what I've seen from of him this season. Um, is that something maybe uh, you'd change in the next game in terms of the, the goalkeeper situation? Personally, I'd give it Nealand till the end of the season, uh, to quote Andy Tate. I think, you know, he's... But apart from the, the game against Manchester City, Nealand has looked tides apart from from the, the championship keeper that we had last season. You know, I think he's really come into his own. He's produced some absolutely outstanding saves. He had a couple of shaky moments in the Carabao Cup final. But more often than not, I've been more impressed than, with Nealand than I have with Pepe Reina. And Pepe Reina, you know, uh, there were comments made about his experience and what he can bring in terms of his leadership and things like that. But, you know, Pepe Reina's mistake against Leicester really set the, set the tone for, for the rest of the game. And I think once that had happened, you know, heads had dropped. We, we were on the back foot anyway. And fr- from that point on, you know, you kind of knew that, that Villa would come out in the second half and just turn in another object performance for 45 minutes. Yeah, and I think, you know... Uh, just touching on the first half as a whole, I think it was the midfield especially. You know, Grealish was uh, was outcasted. I think he had 15 touches, uh, the lowest of any player in the whole first 45. So you know, something at that point, something really needed to change. And I, I even thought at that point, you know, just maybe even change the formation, do something because it clearly isn't working. Um, and yeah, as as we'll come on to in the second half, you know, it, it really didn't get any better for Aston Villa. Something that I just want to touch on is your thoughts on Marvellous Nakamba. I thought that he had, you know, a, a strong start to the the game, especially the first half. And for me, despite the fact that we're playing very poorly and you know, our midfield looked overloaded for much of the game, I think Nakamba's looking worth every penny that we paid for him. I think, you know, at the start of the season, fans were, were very quick to kind of wax lyrical about Nakamba. You know, he, he was the second coming of uh, N'Golo Kanto. And, you know, he dropped off for, for a long, lengthy period. Um, but I think more often than not, Nakamba is is what's stopping us from conceding so much. I think, obviously, you've got the, the likes of the defenders making blocks and things like that. But Nakamba's kind of tenacity in trying to win the ball back is something that I've really noted. And at times, he's the highest-pressing midfielder. And, you know, as a holding midfielder, to be situated in an attacking midfielder's role to try and press and win the ball back, that's... Obviously, it begs the question of of tactics because a ball over the top's going to leave then, you know, that hole in in the midfield. But at the same time, he, he... When he does win the ball back, he's panicking less than I've seen him over the the course of the season and 
I do think, you know, if, if we manage to keep him in the championship, he's a, a rough and ready championship player. That is if we do go down, of course. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the thing with Nakambas, he's um, obviously, this is his kind of adaption season coming from uh, the Belgian league. You know, he's never going to... Um, is I, I I don't know. I, I think he was uh, probably our best midfielder in the day, and I think his energy is impressive. Um, but in in terms of our kind of overall fan base view on him, I don't think a lot of fans have really made their minds up. Um, but for me, you know, he's still he's he's still got a long way to go to be like a kind of. Uh, you know, tried and tested Premier League player, um, but he, he's certainly on his way there. And you know, like you touched on earlier, he there was a period in the season where he did look very kind of nervous on the ball and just nervous in matches on a, as a whole. But you know, if if we do step up, then as one of our starting midfielders, he's going to play a huge part in that. And I think when when McGinn comes back, you know, if he comes back fully fit, a, a midfield of uh, Nakamba and McGinn that's going to that's gonna have a lot of legs and you know that might just be the thing that kind of sees us through I've had conversations recently that, that I thought Nakamba was targeted earlier on in the season during his kind of poor period of, of performances um, and the fact that you know he'd win the ball or, or get the ball from a pass and there'd be two or three opposition players that, that were attacking him or pressing him straight away and he would panic and not know what to do with the ball. But I think he's become more level-headed uh, of late and he's able to recycle possession a little better. He doesn't panic as much. I saw a couple of, of uh, sparks against Leicester City where he was turning on the ball and like flummoxing uh, you know, their, their attacking players or midfielders. And... As I said, you know, I do think he has improved. He started the season well, had that lull, and he's come back into his own. And, you know, as you said just then, if we are to have some kind of revival towards the end of the season, then is going to be a real important part of that. Yeah. Um, I mean, in, in terms of the whole midfield three, uh, when McGinn does come back, or, you know, however the midfield, however you want the midfield to kind of shape up, where, where do you think... Nakamba fits. Do you think he he works uh, maybe better in a midfield too, or would you like to see him in a three with maybe uh, McGinn, like like I said, when he eventually comes back and Grealish or yeah? How, how what do you think his best kind of role is in a Villa shirt at the minute? I think the. I- if you argued that he was playing as a holding midfielder against Manchester City, then that's the role that he needs to play in for the rest of the season because he had a sublime performance despite the loss. But you know, when McGinn returns, I would argue that we play the same midfield as we did today, um, but with McGinn over either Hurahan or uh, Douglas Louise. You know, it, having the the midfield of Nakamba, McGinn and Hurahan provides that tenacity, um, obviously as you mentioned earlier, the legs, but also the the transitional phases um, will, you know, I guess be approached in a better way than they are currently with McGinn and Hurahan in there. Um, And obviously then, depending on the opposition, depending on on how Dean Smith wants to play, you can chop and change the likes of Hurahan and Douglas Louise. 
Mm, yeah, I think. I mean, I'm 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 sure we'll come on to kind of the team as a whole, but uh, Nakamba's kind of uh, well, Nakamba's good performance possibly overshadowed um, pretty poor performances from from possibly McGinn. Uh, sorry, not McGinn. So uh, Hohan and. And Louise, do you think do you think they they struggle to get hold of the midfield, or do you think it was just kind of um, uh, just the overall onslaught of Leicester? Um, in in regards to Hurahan, I don't think he is. Um, you know, pe- people make comments about his lack of tackling and, and and defending ability, and I don't think he's that kind of player. He's the player that you play the ball to, and that ball's being sprayed out to a winger or forward for Samata or, or Davis or Wesley or whoever it would be up front. Um, so I think, I think Horahan did have a poor performance against Leicester, but not as poor as Douglas Louise. I thought I thought Louise started the game really brightly. You know, he was he was almost instigating the kind of tiki taka style of football that we saw in the opening eight or nine minutes. Um but then, you know, his touch seemed rather off. His ball retention obviously then became much worse and he just seemed like he was lulling on, on the ball a little bit. Um and it ended up with us losing possession more often than not when, when Louise was trying to break with the ball. Mm, yeah, I think... I, I I really think that's where we lost the game, you know, midfield and full-backs, like I mentioned earlier. Um, but just to kind of uh, get into the game uh, a bit more... Um, you, you, you know, the, the, is it the penalty that, that came next for... Um, uh, for for Vardy is is that the next was it was that the next goal I, I can't remember I think I've wiped it from my memory because the game was so bad. <laughs> yeah, you know there, there were there was probably one chance the biggest chance for Villa of, of that half where Horahan kind of cut onto his weaker foot, uh, but slipped as he struck struck the ball and obviously the ball went over the bar. Um, and then there were signs that, that Villa were going to kind of capitulate or self capitulate. Um, just six or so minutes later um, as a mistake let Iheanacho through in the 56th minute but obviously luckily Matt Target and Tyrone Mings were quick to smother the ball um, and that's kind of when things you know started to go downhill because three minutes later Brendan Rodgers had decided that was that was your lot for Iheanacho and uh, Jamie Vardy came onto the pitch um, Jamie Vardy had been on three or four minutes and uh, Leicester City were awarded the aforementioned penalty uh, Tyrone Mings stooped low to t- defend across, uh, blocking the incoming ball with his shoulder. Um, obviously, straight away the referee pointed directly to the spot, and Villa fans waited with bated breath for VAR to overturn it, and it didn't come. But that's that's the big issue with VAR this season. You know, the, the, there's so much inconsistency. We've seen, you know, our, our uh, away game against Arsenal. When the ball struck Socrates's hand, and or arm, should I say, and that wasn't given, but then someone's a ball's hitting someone's shoulder, and it you know it's given. The inconsistencies are what's killing the joy of of the game this season. I think you know if it was consistent and you knew even before VR were checking something that a decision was going to be the decision, you know, the, I guess the right decision, then 
that there wouldn't be so much of an issue. Yeah, I think just generally as a football fan, you know, if VAR was doing its job, you'd you'd see the the replay of of Mings uh, or, or or the ball coming off Mings' shoulder, and you think, okay, that's fine, you know, VAR is going to check that, and uh, Michael Oliver is going to overturn the decision. But unfortunately, like you said, inconsistencies again, and um, I mean. The the way Mings kind of moved for the ball and did that kind of diving action is 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 quite an unusual one, and so maybe that's why um, Oliver kind of gave gave the decision. He kind of thought, you know, it was such an unusual position that, and 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 then maybe he th- obviously you know he thought the ball came off his arm as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just another decision as well going against Villa. Uh, I mean, you had the Lansbury one uh, against Crystal Palace, um, and it it just really feels to the point now where the whole of the Premier League is kind of turning on us. The referees are turning on us, um, and you know, and he it was it was just well well put away from Vardy. Really, Rayner wasn't getting anywhere near it. I think I read something a couple of weeks ago, and it was um, it was looking at. You know, um, for and against for VAR this season, and and uh, Villa and Wolves are the worst off this season. So it does seem like there's some kind of anti Midlands agenda for for the Premier League. Um, but obviously, luckily for Wolves, they they can actually win games in in this league, so they're all right this season. Yeah, and you know, it's 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 at the point now where I, I think you you, you tweeted it. Um, at least there won't be VAR in the championship, and you know the, the championship seeming kind of more appealing to me as the as the games kind of wear on now. Um, but I think at that point, that's when you know two 0 down. That's when we we were going to see what we were made of, and you know, unfortunately, it just didn't pan out that way. Yeah, Dean Smith finally kind of reigned in his changes, uh, replacing El Mohamedi with uh, Anwar Al Ghazi, um, and then shortly after, Keenan Davis replaced Conor Horahan. And I'd wrote an article earlier uh, today um, saying that you know that it was important that we utilise Keenan Davis whilst he is fit because he. He came onto the pitch against Manchester City and the ball just stuck to him. He was bullying the likes of John Stones and co. Um, and, you know, I, I did see positives from, from Davis against Leicester's defence. But it, it was at this point that, that things just, just seemed to turn. There was a lack of defensive effort. There was a lack of attacking effort. Um, you know, Leicester were getting aggravated with the way that we were trying to play you know uh, Dennis Pratt uh, picked up a, a booking for a challenge on Marvellous Nakamba um, Evans picked up a one for a foul on, on Samata five minutes later um, but you know there was just a lack of I guess uh, knowledge of what to do on and off the ball there was one period of play I'm not sure exactly where it came but it resulted in uh, Leicester's third goal and that was, um, you, you know, basically the, the, the ball is kind of loose and it's scooped up by a player that's on the floor. And then um, I think Davis tries to attack it and the player that's on the floor, I think it's Evans, wins yeah, the ball again. Yeah. Um, and then Al Ghazi tries to win the ball and it's cleared. And 
the attacking players just look like you know bereft of ideas, bereft of confidence. And uh, you know the the ball finds its way. I can't remember to who, but it it's ends Harvey up. Event. I think Harvey so. Bounce? I think yeah. so. And and then you know, Gilbert's too much inside, and it's just leaving this space for, for Vardy to kind of sit in. Barnes plays the ball to Vardy, who kind of rushes forward, um, and. You know, we, we've just seen this lack of ideas in, in our attacking phase and it's replicated like for like in our defensive phase. Um, you know, Vardy kind of rushes into the box and, and our defenders are at sixes and sevens. You know, he, he takes a shot, it bubbles up into the air, he takes the ball back down and shoots from a really tight angle. Pepe Reina should be doing better there, but obviously he's picked up his brace there. Mm, yeah, it was... I mean, there, there there was kind of that uh, the the Davis run that originally led to Leicester countering. I th- I think there was a pass to the left. He could have played to Al Ghazi that that just got caught caught out, and then it got kind of stuck on the floor, like you said. And Evans kind of played it away, but yeah, it's just another one of those things that you can't let a team like Leicester. You know, we were all saying this is a terrible defeat, but Leicester are third in the Premier League. Uh, for a reason and you know that's kind of why you know the, the the pace they've got on the counter Harvey Barnes had an excellent game um, really kind of um, tore Gilbert a new one um, but yeah it just kind of highlights the, the difference between the teams at the top and the teams at the bottom in terms of uh, just having a knowledge of what to do in kind of attacking phases and Unfortunately for Villa, you know, this team, it, it's still a new team. You know, I know we're in, in March now, but in in terms of the attack, you know, Samata came in in January uh, and, and, and we've got kind of, you know, you know this, this attacking front line that are, are fairly new to each other. And I think that's kind of just a, yeah, an, another problem that we've got. And unfortunately now we don't have too much time to kind of sort it out. Before we move on to um, the, the nail in the coffin, as it were, for Villa tonight, and that's that's the fourth goal that Leicester scored. Um, I, I want to kind of raise something about about Jack Grealish because you know I, I love the lad, and I think everyone that is a Villa fan absolutely adores him. But his last mm, hundred and eighty minutes of football. Across the Carabao Cup final and and tonight, he he has looked like he doesn't. I, I don't want to say that he doesn't care, but you know, we, we're seeing him be fouled and things like that. We're seeing him carry the ball like like we're used to, but it's almost like he's if he was Popeye's run out of spinach kind of thing. You know, he's he's just he's not playing at the level that he was just. A few short months ago, and I don't know whether he's he's got an injury and we're forced to play him. I don't know whether his head's been turned. I have no idea, but all I know is that I think you know. I think regardless of, of where we finish, seventeenth or 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 lower, I, I think that 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 Jack is likely to leave. Um, you know, it, it's the age-old kind of. This is a player that is is playing beyond 
the, the level that we're currently at. We saw it with Christian Benteke, we saw it with Fabian Delph in recent years, and obviously you can then look at the likes of Gareth Barry, uh, James Milner, uh, Stuart Downing, and, and those kind of players that, that left for, for, for greener pastures and went on to have very successful careers. And I think we all know that the biggest thing for Jack is his um, is his England ambitions, and I think you know before the last couple of games, I would have said he was nailed on for a, a spot in these March friendlies if they do take place amidst this coronavirus. But I think you know Southgate may be may be questioning whether to include him or not after his his, his recent performances. Yeah, I mean he just really hasn't been getting into the games recently and it's all almost kind of mirroring mirroring sorry his performances at the start of the season when it was kind of the same thing um and maybe it's kind of a, a point where he can't do any more to kind of carry the team or or maybe it's a point where he should be in the centre because we we've seen in the past when he does play in the centre he's he's a willing runner he's not not afraid to play that more number eight role where he gets back and gets forward, um, but yeah it's it's not looking promising and that kind of brings me on to uh, something I want to ask you as well in terms of uh, the kind of overall setup. Do you think Grealish is better in the centre or better on the left? Or do you think it's kind of just a whole um, kind of mix of the the team being bad and therefore not being able to support Grealish um, in, in the way that we want to? I think there is a heavy, heavy weight on his shoulders. And I think that's becoming too much um, personally. But I believe he's... Especially in the Premier League, he's better it on the left. Um, you know, we've seen the assists and the goals. I think the uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but the vast majority of those have come from him playing out on the left. Um, I think earlier in the season when we were playing him centrally, he was he wasn't getting the time on the ball that he necessarily needed, or the time on the ball that he was afforded in the Championship. But I think. I think uh, down the left it, it creates issues, and it's it's an ongoing thing with our um, our wingers. If I'm honest, you know I think Jack more often than not he'll he'll beat his man, but if he doesn't, then he's he's leaving target isolated. You know, as an example, uh, you know I, I can't recall if it actually happened tonight. It probably did, but let's say Pereira wins the ball. Um, you know, and then he's racing down the right, and he's got all Brighton making moves, pulling defenders, pulling Matt Target out of position, and so forth. And it just allows our, our wing backs or full backs to be overloaded. And it, it happens, you know, with Al Ghazi or Al Mohamedi or Trezeguet on the right. I think I've seen one game where I've actually applauded uh, El Ghazi and Trezeguet for. Their, their defensive contributions and that was when we played Liverpool at home and that was what start of November mm, yeah 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 like you said it's just the whole kind of I, I, I mean we, we were absolutely dominated in on the flanks today as well like I said Harvey Barnes played well um, and I, th- I think it's that thing of we don't seem to have um kind of a, a spark in the middle of midfield at the minute, although Nakamba had a good game, you know, we don't have any kind of 
anyone to kind of set the set the game off and and be that transition um that we really need um but just touching on the wingers actually do you was it was it kind of a, a shock to you to see Al Mohammadi starting over Al Ghazi, uh, despite Al Ghazi's uh, recent good form? I think you know Al Mohammadi um, as a winger doesn't necessarily work, not in the Premier League anyway. I think we saw signs of it kind of losing its touch in the Championship. Um, the only positive Al Mohammadi has as a winger is that he gets more opportunities to play in crosses and and obviously that's what we're trying to do at the moment with Samata being so strong in the air um for me you know we extended El Mohammadi's contract at the start of the season and personally I would argue that we shouldn't have I think you know if we stay up if we go down um more so if we go down then you know we we let El Mohamedi go. We we should have let El Mohamedi go, and I, I I would believe that that Gilbert would stay. You know, he he was happy to join us in the in the uh, championship, and I think he'd be happy to play in the championship. And then I think we we have James Bree as a backup. James Bree has performed well at Luton Town this season, despite them being rooted to the bottom of the the championship. Um, but I don't know. I think I think El Mohamedi is finally uh, you know past it. I think when we signed him. Um, I wasn't really that happy with 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 the signing. You know, it was a it was a typical signing for for Steve Bruce. Um, but he he proved me wrong when we were in the championship, and he came up trumps on a number of occasions, namely the uh, the, the playoff final. But I, I do think you know he needs to be reduced to a bit part role. I you know I, I love him as a player, and I I will look back at his time at Villa fondly, but. Especially in the Premier League, I, I think Al Mohammadi's done. Yeah, I mean, I think on the point of if we go down, getting rid of him. Personally, I'd keep him. Um, but I think I think on on that point as well of a winger, you know, he sh- he shouldn't be anywhere near our starting eleven on the wing. Um, that the problem with Al Mohammadi is. He's got a good cross in him, but I feel he he takes quite a lot of time to kind of weigh up, um, weigh up what what he wants to do. You can almost see the cogs turning in his head before he he does a cross, um, and he he's very he's very kind of one footed as well, so he's not likely to beat his man. Um, but yeah, it's I, I hope that's something that stops now that Al Mohammadi on the right, you know, um, Al Ghazi, you know, he, he's not the most consistent player but at least he's got a spark he's got the ability to beat his man and as we saw in the the league cup final you know he he can hit a good cross at pace as well um but yeah i mean you you could really go into every position and 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 criticize where we went wrong today because you know it 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 was kind of a, a failure all around the pitch um well, you know, yeah. I I take issue with with um, the way that we're utilising Trezeguet. I, I criticised him a couple of podcasts ago um, because I thought he was rather selfish. I, I thought that you know what what the in I guess the in inverted commas the scouting that I did over the summer before we signed him told me was that 
you know, he, he was a bright player and, uh, you know, a player that was ready to kind of come into his prime. Obviously, he's not going to hit the ground running in the Premier League after coming from the Turkish leagues. But I don't, I don't think he's been utilised correctly. Um, more often than not, last season at Kazim Passer, he was utilised as a left winger or as a centre forward. Um or even just behind the, the the striker, and I think you know more often than not we've seen him replace the you know almost a, as, a, as a like for like replace Al Ghazi, um, and more often than not he's he's come on from the bench. Um, so you know th- there's arguments for for playing you know a. Um, Three three attackers, as it were, behind a striker with Grealish, Trezeguet, and Al Ghazi, or you know, and you, you can chop and change then Trezeguet and 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 Grealish on the left, or you, you know, you can make it a more dynamic, you know, attacking trio perhaps. But um, yeah, I, I'm not really sure in in a, in a lot of regards as to how our players are being utilised. If I'm honest, yeah, I think. You know, Trezeguet didn't didn't get get on today, and I I would have liked to have have, have seen him to be honest, um, and and maybe just you know he, he even just used him on the left and maybe move Grealish to the middle. But I think the problem we're having at the minute is um, I'm not completely sure we'd uh, we're in a position to allow ourselves. Maybe four attacking players. I I don't know. Maybe it would work, but um, I I I think especially against teams like you know we've got Chelsea, Wolves, Man United coming up. Um, it's it's going to be hard to kind of get the most out of our attackers anyway. But yeah, I I I'd agree with you in terms of Trezeguet. You know, I I think I'd I'd like to see more of him this season. Uh, I think he could be a, a real problem in the championship, but again, it's a it's a tale of inconsistency, which uh, is unfortunately the same story for so many of our players this season. Yeah, of course, inconsistency has plagued you know our, our, our performances, our squad throughout the entire season. Um, obviously, uh, as as we previously mentioned, uh, Leicester picked up a fourth. And that was in the 85th minute. Um, Mark Albright, and obviously the former Villa man, who um, hinted we should have never let go. Um, he found space on the right before cutting the ball into Harvey Barnes, who fired a rocket past Pepe Reina. Um, but the, the big issue for me was the amount of space that, 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 that the, the recent arrival on the pitch, Yuri Tillemans, was afforded in the central position before he picked out Albright and on the right. And... You know, I, I can't really take much fault for for the for the fourth goal. If I'm honest, you know, I, I think our heads had dropped after the penalty. Well, I think our heads dropped after Pepe Reina's mistake. If I'm honest, but you know, uh, the, the the fourth, I'm not going to read too much into. But at the same time, when when goal difference is so important, you know, you, you want to see a bit of fight at the end of a game, despite the scoreline. Yeah, it was it was good work from All Brighton to to pick the cross. You know, it wasn't he got his head up and he and 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 he knew where Barnes was. But again, you know, defending, man marking, same old kind of mistakes. And uh, I, I remember as well after it kind of zoomed in on on Tyrone Mings, he just he's just going how you know how how, how has that been let to happen because 
you, you know, you know, we'd think with, with Mings and Engels that they're solid defenders and it's, it's just really not working at the back. Uh, and, and, you know, maybe, you know, we've tried five at the back, we've tried four at the back and it, it just, nothing seems to be working at the moment, minute for Villa. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think another thing as well, I'm not sure if you saw, but Villa Analytics on Twitter did a really good kind of thread um, on uh, Villa's flaws and why they're conceding too many goals. And it basically kind of concluded that um, uh, the reason we were conceding so many is because uh, we, we weren't kind of packing enough in the middle and they were kind of uh, other teams to be able to kind of get through us. Um did did you did you see that by any chance, Regan? And if not, um, how 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 crucial you know could e- e- even a couple of goals be towards our our, our relegation fight? Um, yeah, I, I saw the thread this morning. I was I was reading it over my uh, my cup of coffee and porridge, um, but. <sighs> The the big thing for me, uh, you know, we are leaving too much space in central positions. Our defenders aren't, uh, sorry, our midfielders aren't perhaps defending as much as they should be. Um, but you know, vi- visually in, in games, you know, it just looks like we've got, you know, our three midfielders packed in front of our defenders. But that's not necessarily the case. More often than not, you've got the likes of Louise or or Hurrahan chasing, you know, an onrushing midfielder and things like that. Um, but yeah, the the big issue, uh, and it has been for, for for the majority of the season, is is how we're conceding our it's conceding our goals, um, and it's something that has to stop now. Really, you know, we can concede, of course, um, and we will concede, but. We need to stop having individual mistakes. We need to start playing as as a as a team rather than uh, rather than individuals. Mm. Yeah, um, and it kind of begs the question now. Moving on forwards, you know, we've got a tough run of, run of fixtures. Um, you know, one win will, will get us out of the relegation zone. But in terms of that performance against Leicester. Uh, how has that kind of changed your opinion on whether we'll stay up or not? Well, we've got Chelsea next, and you know they've been a very topsy turvy side this season under Frank Lampard. Um, th- there's always a result in in a game against topsy turvy sides, um, but I'm not too sure about that happening. Um, I think we need a win. In our next two games, um, and that's that's what Chelsea and Wolves. Um, I think we, we need a win. Both of those games are at home, and we're going to be relying on our home form to keep us up. Um, but I, I think, really, if we if we don't get a win in either of those games, or at least a point from either of those games, I think we're going to end up being cut adrift. But that being said, you know the, the footballing gods have have certainly kind of tried to make it easy for us this season you know the, the amount of times that we've we've kind of thought mm, you know things are getting uh, you know squeaky bum time kind of thing um and then results have gone our way elsewhere and i don't know 
the, the big thing for me is just our home form. We need to be picking up points at home. Um, you know, our remaining home fixtures this season, I think there's what? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Nine games left plus the the the, the uh, postponed game against Newcastle, which, which hasn't been rearranged yet, I don't think. Um, and out of those, there's five at home. Um, you know that's a potential fifteen points, which would I would think see us safe. Um, but you know, you know those those games coming against Chelsea, Wolves, uh, Palace, Arsenal, Man United. Um, you can't really see many many points coming our way from those games. No, and I think as well. I saw a stat earlier, which was uh, the, the only win we've got against a team in the in the top. 10 I believe uh, was Burnley and they're 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 about 10th now so it's it, it's at a point where you look back maybe we'll look back on the season we'll think you know the games against Southampton against Watford uh, we really should have been winning those and now we've we've left quite a lot to do you know with, the, with these um, good teams coming up I, I mean I know you touched on Chelsea being a, a topsy-turvy team but um, they've been playing well recently, um, and yeah, like you said, you know the home form is going to be crucial. You just hope that kind of raises our game. Um, but I don't know. At this point, I know we're not. Well, we're still fully in the mix, but I'm I'm starting to see the same mistakes. Obviously, maybe not to the same kind of magnitude as as kind of 2015-16 but it does it does feel like everything is going against us um and it's going to be hard it's going to be hard and i think that statement it's going to be hard is probably the best way to end this week's podcast um as always if you've enjoyed it please give us a like and a subscribe and a comment and a review and all that jazz on whatever platform you're listening on um as always your comments are very much appreciated on social media also you can follow us on twitter at villa lamp on instagram at under a gaslit lamp on Facebook, forward slash under a gaslit lamp, and you can keep up to date with all the latest news, opinion, and more about Aston Villa on underagaslitlamp.com. Thanks for listening, and up the villa. <laughs>